Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. Sit back and relax, because we've got a great podcast for you today. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Overcoming Multiple Snafus to Identify a MIA. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from case number 319 in the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. You know, the dictionary defines a snafu as a situation marked by errors or confusion. So what happens when not one, not two, not three, but multiple snafus conspire together to prevent a lost Marine from being identified for almost 80 years. Well, stay tuned to find out how Persistence finally conquered the snafu monster. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information, On the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you all to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. We dedicate this episode today, it's really a special episode, to our loyal listeners in Grand Rapids, Michigan. (laughs) We don't know if there are any current snafus in Grand Rapids, but we do know that one of your hometown heroes has conquered a whole ocean full of snafus to come home to you soon. You know, it strikes me that many of you may not be familiar with the military acronym SNAFU, S-N-A-F-U. SNAFU is an acronym that is widely used to stand for the sarcastic expression, Situation Normal, All Fouled Up. Well, since this is a family-approved podcast, I have utilized the word fouled for a more widely used word in the military that starts with the letter F. The acronym is believed to have originated in the United States Marine Corps during World War II, and that is exactly where today's episode starts. The 51 members of the 604th Quartermaster Graves Registration Company arrived at Tarawa on 4 March 1946. From 4 March through 15 March, they were primarily tasked with unloading their equipment and supplies, establishing their living quarters, and constructing a site that would later be known as Lone Palm Cemetery. Their mission was simply to find and disinter, and I use the word simply pretty loosely. The mission was to find and disinter over a thousand casualties from the Battle of Tarawa that had occurred in November 1943. These casualties were buried in over 40 different cemeteries across the very small island. The mission of the AGRIS, the American Graves Registration Unit Service, was to identify them before consolidation into the only one cemetery that was designated on the island as Lone Palm Cemetery. There were about 40 cemeteries spread all across the island, as we said. Some of these cemeteries had just one body, and some had over a hundred. So the mission was pretty complicated from the start. 
Disinterment activity began on 16 March 1946, and reinterment of the day's recoveries into the Lone Palm Cemetery usually occurred each day at about, oh, 1530 hours. Each burial in Lone Palm included a ceremony with a flag-draped pine board casket constructed on the site, and the ceremony was officiated by the chaplains and sometimes the dental officer, Lieutenant Robinson. After the burial, a small white wooden cross was placed at the head of the new grave with the name of the casualty if known. If not known, an X number was used to identify the casualty as unidentified. The whole mission was basically a snafu from the start. In some cases, there were no bodies under cemetery crosses in some of the 40 cemeteries. Entire cemeteries, in fact, could not be located. Some are still lost, and the handful of dental charters of the Agris team had been trained on the ship during the trip to the island, and they were making errors left and right. And the biggest snafu of all, with over a thousand Marines, Navy, Army personnel, and even, and even one merchant Marine, all of these people missing, Agris could only find 532 bodies. March 25, 1946 was a really tough day for the 604th Quartermaster Graves Registration Company, or AGRIS, on Tarawa. They recovered 36 bodies on this date, and photographs of that day show them wearing shorts, their shirts stripped off, and obviously in a very hot and humid environment with only picks and shovels to try to recover the remains. They had multiple problems on this particular day. There was multiple individuals who were misidentified. One misidentification was based on two sets of dog tags found on the body. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the dog tags belong not to the body, but to someone who had survived the battle. Another misidentification was based on a wallet found on the body, but the owner of the wallet had also survived the battle. One of the biggest snafus of the day was a body later designated as X-118, recovered from cemetery number 33, row B, grave number 43. X-118 could not be identified despite it being the recorded burial site of Corporal Andrew Pellerito of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Agris found his remains but not his dog tags. In fact, his dog tags would lay in the sand in that same burial trench for another 68 years. And to make matters worse, the dental work found in the skull of X-118 did not completely match that of Corporal Pellerito. The major discrepancy in the dental chart comparison violated one cardinal rule of forensic odontology. The rule is simply this. Cadavers do not grow teeth, and X-118 was charted with a tooth in a location where Corporal Pellerito was noted in his records to have had that tooth previously extracted. Well, for lack of a better term, we will call this the magic tooth. On the charts, it was tooth number 14. Well, let's find this location in your own mouth so you will know exactly what tooth we're talking about. If you have all of your teeth, including your wisdom teeth, run your tongue to the upper left side, upper left side of your mouth, 
and, and count three teeth from the back. This is the magic tooth for Corporal Pellerito, whose mouth should have had a gap there based on his mental, military dental chart showing an extraction in tooth number 14. That's your upper left, number three, from the back. Unfortunately, unknown X-118 had this tooth firmly installed in the upper mandible of the skull. Corporal Pellerito, as we said, was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. His mother died in 1937. At the time of the 1940 census, Andy was living with his father, Sam Pellerito, a sister and three brothers in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We have no idea if any of his family is still in Grand Rapids, but we suspect they probably are. Both of Andrew's parents were born in Italy, and Andy's father worked in a factory that manufactured hardware. Andy dropped out of school after completing two years of high school. He was accepted in the United States Marine Corps in Grand Rapids, and he was formally enlisted in Detroit, on 15 January 1942 and assigned the rank of private. Term of his enlistment was for four years. He listed his residence in Grand Rapids and he listed his father as his next of kin. He did complete all the necessary paperwork to receive U.S. government life insurance. Let's look over a few of Andy's profile stats that are going to find a way into this mystery before we're over. Andy was 67 inches tall. That's 5 foot 7 inches. He was 22 years of age when he enlisted. His hair was noted as being medium brown. He weighed 165 pounds. His blood type was O. And I guess the best way to describe him is he looked like a linebacker. His most striking physical trait was a large, thick neck and mus muscular shoulders. In the parlance of the era, Corporal Pellerito's statue would probably have been described as stocky. In other words, he was built like a fire plug. He was short and a very mus muscular build on his upper body. He was listed as a Catholic in his records, and the letters C for Catholic were probably imprinted on his USMC identification disc or dog tag. His cap size was unknown. He had blue eyes. And his last dated dental examination, and this will become important, was 18 January 1942, shortly after his enlistment. And it noted that he had 11 fillings and cavities, 4 extractions, and 3 wisdom teeth present at the time of the examination. He was first assigned to complete his USMC basic training with the 11th Recruit Battalion at the Marine Corps D Depot in San Diego, California. After basic training on 7 March 1942, Private Pellerito was assigned to K Company, that's King Company or Kilo Company, 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines, Camp Elliott, San Diego, California. And he achieved a specialist rating as a 6th Class Rifleman on 5 June 1942. It wasn't long, 8 August 1942 in fact, that Private Pellerito and his company embarked aboard a transport ship in San Diego Harbor, and by October were engaged in battle with Japanese forces in the Guadalcanal Campaign. On 1 January 1943, Private Pellerito was promoted to Private First Class, and he and his company were withdrawn from Guadalcanal in early 1943 and shipped to New Zealand, where they were encamped near Wellington for a period of rest 
refit, and training in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. Private Pellerigo probably contracted malaria while on Guadalcanal because he spent a lot of time in the company hospital. 1 April through 4 April was his first admission. On 30 June 1943, Private Pelo, or Private First Class Pellerito received his semi-annual professional and conduct record, or his fit rep, his fitness report, which scored by his commanding officer on a 0 to 5 scale, the five traits of military efficiency. Military efficiency 4.3, knitness and military bearing 4.3, intelligence 4.5, obedience 5, and the final category, sobriety 5. On 1 July 1943, Private First Class Pellerito was promoted to corporal, and he celebrated evidently by again entering the company hospital on 29 July 1943. Corporal Pellerito's company, which was K Company, 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines, was designated to land in the middle of Red Beach 1 during the invasion of Tarawa. His battalion was transported from their training bases in New Zealand to Tarawa on board the USS Arthur Middleton. They were scheduled to land about 0900 hours, that's 9 o'clock in the morning, on the first day of the invasion, 20 November 1943. As the three LVTs, and that's landing vehicle track, carrying Corporal Pellerito's company reached the reef about 700 yards from the beach, the Japanese defenders began a heavy fire with infantry weapons and artillery. Due to the unique U-shaped topography of the designated landing beach, Corporal Pellerito's unit was taking fire from all sides, four different directions. As the LVTs neared the beach, one LVT received a direct hit by an artillery shell just as it reached the beach and the entire vehicle and its occupants disappeared in the explosion. K Company was probably one of the first groups of United States Marines to land on Tarawa and they were met with a devastating fire from the Japanese defenders. Assault Marines who attempted to exit the LVTs from their sides after reaching the beach were cut down in large numbers and four of K Company's six officers were killed or wounded. The survivors continued to be mauled by heavy Japanese defensive fire while they attempted to find shelter along a coconut seawall and await reinforcements. Corporal Pellerito was originally listed on his USMC casualty card as missing in action on 20 November 1943. His official status was changed on 24 January 1944 to killed in action as of 20 November. This document lists his cause of death as gunshot wound head. And the casualty card actually notes a location of his burial. Grave number 43, Row B, Eastern Division Cemetery. The Eastern Division Cemetery would later be redesignated as cemetery number 33. The noted cause of death of gunshot wound head for Corporal Pellerito would be another snafu because the believed body of Corporal Pellerito, unknown X-118, did not show such a wound. The Agris personnel could not find such a wound in the skull of X-118, and even the trained specialist at the Army's Central Identification Laboratory in Hawaii who examined the body later, did not find a gunshot wound to the head. 
So, the long and short of this was that X-118 was buried in the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii as a unknown, and that word was engraved on his headstone. And there the case lay until it landed on my desk in November 2011 as a member of the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC, a part of the Department of Defense. Using a system known as RISC, which stands for Random Incident Statistical Correlation, I quickly determined that all of the biometrics of X-118 matched Corporal Pellerito, except for that damn number 14-2. I worked for an agency there, JPAC. Those of us who worked there referred to it as Camp FUBAR, F-U-B-A-R. <laughs> That's another military acronym for Fouled Up Beyond All Recognition. Well, same substitute F word for fouled. Knowing this, I wondered, I really did wonder, if tooth number 14 was a snafu. Could the poorly trained Agris dental charters make another mistake on March 25th, along with their other snafus on misidentifications? That was a question. Took me a while to get that answer. Well, it didn't seem likely, because even the highly competent and highly trained professional anthropologists at the Army Central Identification Laboratory noted the same number 14 tooth to be present. And, there again, there was the no head wound apparent issue. All in all, I classified Corporal Pellerito as a probable match to X-118 on November 15, 2011. But I just couldn't bring myself to upgrade him to a most likely match because of the cardinal rule of forensic odontology. Cadavers do not grow teeth. Really? Then, in 2014, a paid contractor on Tarawa found Corporal Pellerito's dog tags in the sand where Cemetery 33 had once been located, but no skeleton. All this proved was that one of the original Agris snafus had missed a key piece of evidence that might have led to Corporal Pellerito's identification in 1946. Well, someone, who knows, but someone at the Department of Defense finally read my 2011 report on unknown X-118 and exhumed the unidentified body from the Punchbowl Cemetery on 11 December 2016. The remains were then placed in a cardboard box at the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency Laboratory in Honolulu, Hawaii, and there they sat on the shelf for years. In June 2017, Corporal Pellerito's family contacted the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation and requested a comprehensive family report on Corporal Pellerito's case. This caused us to reopen and reinvestigate the case. By then, our foundation had acquired all sorts of investigative tools that were not available to the Department of Defense or at Camp Fubar when I was there. Our newly acquired cranial facial recognition program nailed Corporal Pellerito's photo as a match to the skull photo of unknown X-118 as did our own computerized facial characteristics program. 
and the inventor of the cranial facial recognition program, Mr. Brian White of Canada, more closely examined the skull photograph of X-118, and he noted that the gunshot wound had occurred to the soft tissue around the left eye, and the wound left no exit in the back of the skull. But the clincher was when we finally realized, finally, that the snafu was not all with Agris personnel on Tarawa or even the Army Central Identification Laboratory. In playing with the dental charts, we moved the extracted tooth noted in Corporal Pellerito's enlistment chart to tooth number 13, not number 14. And then everything in the chart fell into place. The original snafu had been a Navy dentist named Froelich on 18 January 1942, who simply couldn't count correctly. After that, it only took DEPAW, the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency, it only took them four years to finally announce that unknown X-118 was Corporal Andrew Pellerito, based on DNA comparison by the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory. Corporal Pellerito, your identification had to overcome so many snafus that you are the epitome of persistence. Welcome home, Andy. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes, all of our other episodes, on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. No Home for Heroes is featured on just about any podcast site around the world. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no hero. But shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.